Welcome to Editing Aloud with South Africa's best journalists and finest minds. And today we have one of the new finest minds on this, on this, on this program, Jana Marie, who joined us Business Day. Welcome to uh, Business Day Deputy Editor. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Rob. Jana, um, can, I, can I start with you, perhaps, um, as, as a harsh debut to this program? <laughs> um, the, SARS, the SARS inquiry last week, uh, it's, been, it's been fascinating. Yep. And I think Tom Moyani's machinations have made it a lot more interesting. This is a man who first begged for this inquiry to take place, who said we need to, we need to have it to clear, clear our name and clear the air, and now he's trying to stop it. I mean, what's, what's actually happening there? From the looks of it, it looks like a, very much a PR exercise trying for him trying to, to save his reputation. Um, I don't think, from the looks of it, it, you know, the legal arguments he's bringing to the table don't seem to have much merit. Um, so I think he's really trying to cloud, you know, the public's mind about whether, you know, is this a witch hunt against him or is this actually a valid inquiry? Um, but I think the facts speak for themselves. You know, he hasn't really addressed any of the, of the concrete allegations again made against him. It's all pr procedural technicalities. Um, so do tell us, you know, did you, you know, mm. did you illegally approve bonuses? Did you protect your, your sidekick, Jonas Makwakwa? Um, you know, did you... Where is the investigative capacity of SARS mm. since you've taken over? So I think those are the things we really want the answers for, but I don't think we're going to get it from him. But Ray, it's been it's been devastating for Moyani. I think the evidence in the first week was just lacerating. I mean, is there any sense that he can conceivably counter any of that, or or is he just saying, look, I can't I can't deal with this. I know that I'm just dead in the water, and hence I'll try and stop it. Yeah, it's the Stalingrad approach, you know, that Jacob Zuma perfected which is you challenge everything, you have procedural questions all along the way. And this is laying the ground now for a legal challenge to the, you know, when the commission eventually has findings. Um, it's going to be interdicted against releasing its findings until, the, you know, these have been scrutinized and responded to because there was an unfair... So that, you know, it's just that, that sort of endless dragging everything through the legal treacle to slow it down and make it... Make it 10 years from now mm. when something finally happens rather than next year. So legal treacle, I think that's a, that's a great phrase. Well, but, but look, then in that case, whether we find ourselves without a commissioner for the next 10 years, so could we have an acting commissioner for the next 10 years because you can't really appoint a new one until this, this thing has been settled, right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's the, that, that, that's the thing. You know, so there won't be somebody coming in and looking in file 13 until this... Things over. But look, I mean, I also think that it's fascinating that, you know, the theory that, that, that Moyani was the first man to drive revenues past a trillion rand, that has been dealt with and, and dismissed in this inquiry, as well as the fact that, you know, they've actually put a number, the 142 billion rand, on what the Moyani years have cost the country. Yeah. I mean, how significant is that? What does that tell us about what happened at SARS over the last couple of years? I mean, the numbers talk for themselves. And we know last year with the, the missed attack about like something like 50 billion. I mean, I mean, this is an institution that always used to beat targets. Remember those, those heady days when Pravin Gordon was running it, and it was like the jewel, and now it's gone from being the jewel to not the jewel. Mm. And they consider what it actually is supposed to do, about how important this institution is. I mean, it's probably the most important institution in the country. I mean, more than even you can argue that there's a bank, or this is, this is the one that's supposed to raise all the funds. Even more than the media. Even more than us, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> it's the one that's supposed to pay for everything, or at least like, find the money to pay for everything, like, whether it's like education or health. Because without this institution working, nothing else works. Maybe you could argue maybe ESCOM is a bit bigger, because ESCOM literally would not have any mm. lights on. <laughs> but other than that, it's hard to see any other institution that's more important to get right. And it's quite disturbing what Ray is saying about it potentially staying in this limbo situation for the next decade, potentially. Yeah. You know. 
So, so revelations, I mean, I, I found it fascinating that, that Jonas Makwakwa, the guy who left SARS under, under a huge cloud, he was the guy who stopped the cigarette investigations. Um, and I find that intriguing since, you know, British American Tobacco had this massive assessment against them. All these other tobacco companies that have been involved in politics, been playing politics for the last couple yeah. of years. I mean, Jana, what were the things that stood out for you in terms of revelations that have come out that, that perhaps surprised you over the last week? Look, I think the, the really concerning thing is exactly that, is that investigative capacity that's, that's gone. And how do you get that back? You know, after you've seen how the witch hunt that's been, mm. that's been um, going on against the likes of Johan van Lochenberg, um, Ivan Pillay, people who are really key in building up that capacity. Um, and clearly it's nice to have the right friends in SARS because you, you know, you can get rid of your, of your tax troubles. Um, but I think a lot of it, you know, has come out in drips and drabs over the years and perhaps it's just shocking to see everything coming out in, you know, sitting in one earring and, and, and coming out at one go. Um, I think the big challenge for them is going to be rebuilding the institution, re you know, and, and that's going to be difficult without a permanent acting commissioner, you know. A permanent commissioner in place. How do you lure back the talent that you've lost over the last, you know, mm. 10, 20 years? You know, people who's been there for, for decades, really built, you know, really built up that institution, and you know, they now have hard shot jobs elsewhere. Barry Hall, Building Discovery Bank. You're not going to get him back in SARS, no matter what kind of money you put on the table. And and that's going to be the real challenge: is how do you get new talent? Yeah, you exactly. know, Get talent back there. So. So, Ray, do you think you can save SARS? I mean, what do you need to do? I mean, how do you do that? Well, it's got to re-establish its credibility and reinforce the idea that, that, that was there prior to Moyani's reign, which was that it was a credible, mm. successful, you know, it was, it was increasing revenue collection steadily every year. Um, and that, that, that failure, that reversal of that, um, that image is very difficult to, to sort of, it's hard to fix. I mean, you've got to somehow, it's got to become neutral, it's got to demonstrate neutrality, it's got to pay people back on time, refunds, because one of the, the scandalous yeah. things was the holding back of um, refunds, refunds oh, yeah. but refunds, in order to in artificially inflate the number, because there was testimony, I forget which person made it, that, um, you know, that, that that withhold payment was included in the revenue collection mm -hmm. statistic, which you know any accountant would have immediately taken it out. By any accountant, you mean not KPMG, I assume? Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm talking about yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think <laughs> so. Yeah, that 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 reestablishing credibility. But I think it will happen. I mean, I personally had a small tax debt, which I passively aggressively ignored for several years <laughs> while Tom Moyani was there and I settled it the other day and I felt fine about it. But this I'm is the say, issue. I'm still ignoring mine. <laughs> <laughs> but this I'm is the issue. Is like my tax, personal tax office. That's private as a taxpayer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm protected by like no, we require confidentiality laws. <laughs> Taxes are a grudge purchase. I mean, a grudge yeah. purchase. Yeah. You you pay money. You don't you don't. It's but especially so. You see the guy running the tax authority wasting money. You see guys in government wasting money. Mm. I mean. Look, Kanye, isn't that the issue now? Is that we have a lot of people who are complaining about the fuel price mm. rise, rise over the last couple of weeks. And, you know, there's seven rand fifty of the fuel price we pay, which is about sixteen rand or so now, goes to actually paying the basic price of fuel. The rest mm. is kind of five rand thirty or so 
um, is, is levies and taxes, and, and you feel resentful about paying that, principally because you see what happens to it. Is, is tax morality, like Ray said, has gone backwards? To what extent has that played I mean, into this? As you, as, you, as you suggest that, I mean, it's supposed to be a social contract, right? I mean, you do your work and you gradually give your, the government your part of your money, and then the government does something useful with it. You know? I mean, if you're living in Scandinavia and you're paying strategic like mm. tax rates, but you don't really mind so much because you're getting good quality education, you're getting good health, you're getting all the benefits that you're supposed to be paying for. But when you have a situation like this where you are grudgingly paying your tax, but, you, but seemingly society is not benefiting from those taxes, not just personally, necessarily yourself, because, because not, not everybody is necessarily thinking about their own personal benefit. But you'd like to think the country's got a lot of issues that need to be dealt with, and I'm happy to pay my taxes to, in order to help fix them. But when you see them actually not being fixed and the money going elsewhere, of course, then you think, why should I be? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, Jana, what is the, I mean, the, the levies have gone up radically, isn't it? What is the percentage? You, you know these Yeah, so the, so the road accident fund levy, for example, is up 330% over the last 10 years compared to inflation. About, inflation was about 74% or so over the same period. And you have to ask yourself, if you were, think of any other private sector company, if you were SAB, pushing up your beer prices by 330%, massively outperforming inflation, what's going to be left, you know, of your market share? I think the what Kanye and I would probably still buy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, Perhaps SAB is not the right yeah, exactly. yes, But, uh, you know, the point is that there must be an uh, efficiency in the process as well. Um, yes, the road accident fund needs to be funded, but you also don't want to see them, for example, paying, how much is it, 1,300 rand a month to, to hire one office chair. I mean, yeah. it's just, it, that really just... It's, it leaves a, the wrong taste in my mouth, anyway. So, so Ray, yeah. I mean, you, you wrote something about the RAF. I mean, is that yeah. not, is that not, that contributes towards people's unwillingness to pay tax well, on the exactly. morality? You know, it's sort of, it, I did the maths, and it's, I mean, it's 1 Rand 93 out of your 16 Rand a litre price, roughly, goes to the road accident fund, um, which should be a really worthy cause. We have a massive problem in this country, and the worst road accident. Um, fatalities, deaths, injuries, etc., in the world. And the most capricious and lawyers. He has a way for motorists to actually contribute towards ameliorating the suffering of those who are the victims of this. But to see it go on office chairs. But also the amount. I think, you know, it's spinning out of control a little bit, the taxation on fuel. Mm. For, you know, that's, uh, if you've got a 75 litre tank, it's 150 bucks. On your RAF contribution? Goes to the RAF. I mean, it's, it's quite outrageously large tax um, over and above the other taxes that one pays. So, But I suppose in context, that's only a third of an office chair to be rented per month, so it's not... Yeah, you know, I think... <laughs> it, I know. <laughs> you know, the fact that it's going towards office chairs is, it makes it worse. But, but there's another question, though, which is... Chairs. You know, th these are stealthy taxes. The numbers are mentioned vaguely in speeches and uh, very lengthy speeches towards the end mm. or maybe even now just in the schedule um, but it's a, it's, it's a big portion of the fuel price now the levies and taxes and they, they upped that I think two years ago um, the fuel levy when oil was a low and now oil has obviously soared quite a lot to around 74 so that's a big issue I mean Luke to what extent the fuel price which determines a lot of our other costs in, in our inflation numbers, driven by the Trump trade wars, um, and to what extent is it, is it an internal? I mean, to what extent should we expect it to play out mm. favorably in future? I mean, I mean, these things all link together, don't they? 
I mean, from the Trump wars, just like emerging markets generally being weaker, obviously the weaker the rand is not weaker than it was at the, at the turn of the year. I think when well, it's quite strange to, to think like only like a few months ago, the Reserve Bank was saying the rand was overvalued, <laughs> cutting interest rates. Mm. So I mean, all these things link together, and it's actually hard to see any other direction it goes. I mean, there's the question is about how much higher can it go? And I mean, how much more we, we could suffer in other ways? Like, I, mean, I might see higher interest rates later on. I mean, I mean, on the fuel levy itself, I mean, you can argue about whether or not they should be cut or not, but then I mean, that's money that's presumably the government is counting on in terms of, the, of this budget. So if, you, so if you cut that, it's going to find it somewhere else, right? So I don't think we can get away from that one. Like, I mean, we can remove that tax, but then some other tax will go up or, or some other, like, spending will fall and we know nobody likes the word austerity so so, so, so we need a fuel yeah. fuel levy strike should we, <laughs> yeah. should we argue for that <laughs> um mm. guys after the break we'll come back and we'll discuss um other issues in the news glencore steinoff and some other some other big issues this week welcome back to editing aloud um, if you have been watching business over the last couple of months, you'll have noticed a company called Steinoff. Um, it's been very bad for the economy. It's been very bad for the thousands of people who invested in the company, um, partly because it was a small matter of accounting fraud. This week, they released results that showed that the accounting fraud uh, was quite deep indeed. There was a 1 billion euro profit swing from a 130 million profit to what was essentially an 800 million euro loss this time around. That's just for last year, restating the numbers. Um, Jana, Stanoff has been a proper disaster, but this is the first time they put numbers to just how bad it is. I mean, how shocking do you think it was for the markets? Well, apparently not as shocking as it was for me because the share price actually rallied quite a bit since Friday. Um, you know, we can argue whether that's a dead cat bounce or if it's actually, you know, the numbers actually give some confidence to, to, to speculators, I suppose, more than investors. Um, well, the, I think the big number is the impairments. They've... Uh, the guidance they provided in December, they were expecting about a 6 billion um, euro hole. That hole seems to have grown to 12.8 billion euro as the investigations continue. And they did warn that it's, you know, the investigations are still ongoing and they're expecting more bad news. So I don't think by any stretch of the imagination have we seen the full extent of, of the, the, the irregularities that's been going on there. Sure. I mean, look, Anya, like, why is the standoff thing important to the wider economy. I mean, it, it indicates failures of governance and failures of oversight. Mm. Um, but I mean, why should we care about this? I mean, a thing like this is like, you know, a 12 billion euro hole. How do you even think of that? That's, mm. you know, 114 billion rand. That's just, you know, one, one hole in an account. I mean, there are the, the, the few reasons why we should care. I mean, you could uh, talk about the money section part, but we know we all talked about SARS and stuff. Like all the talk about the sort of moral backbone of the country in a way like I mean I think so much of the focus rightly in the last few years has all been about state capture and corruption in the public sector I mean this sort of like sort of did sort of blow the whole the idea that you know like the, the, the corporate sector is actually all innocent and lead off more in terms of the moral generation whatever you want to call it I mean in that way it sort of blown that, that sort of myth out of, out, of, out of the window I mean 
in most practical terms, we're talking about a lot of money. Like even this is a big companies, lots mm. of like ordinary people are like invested in this. Because we write a lot about how much Visa has lost, but Visa still has its private jets. You know, you know, like so. so he might he, have lost he, sixty billion, <laughs> but he has sixty billion. Yeah, no, he still has about a lot of people, like pension funds, like people who make like ninety-eight percent of their value. Like you can imagine what it means for like ordinary people whose whose like, savings were, were tied to this with this company. I think that's why it matters mostly. No, 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 not so much about whether or not Visa's got one or two private jets. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Ray, how do you, how does it, I mean, how would you handle if you lost 60 billion rand of your own wealth? It probably would be uncomfortable, right? Yeah, I would, it would hurt, really, because I'd be <laughs> negative <laughs> 61 billion. Um, no, I mean, I, I think that, that there is the regulatory issue, which is how is it possible? And, you know, there's this big war going on at the moment with, between the JSC and one of our columnists, whose name I won't pronounce now. Oh, um, can't pronounce, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, how is it possible that you can create such a beast and have such eminent board persons sitting there for years while this goes on? You know, and, and it points to, I think, a crony sort of culture in South African business, swirling around of the same people on boards, and everybody's friends with everybody. Nobody, you know, speaks out of turn. And, uh, you know, your accountants are your accountants for life. Unless this change that's being proposed happens. And this is what you get. So I think there's distrust now of in, in the market. So much so that there's a company that's actually launched an insurance product for shares. Um, should in the event of a Steinhoff-esque something mm. happening. You can actually insure yourself against that now. On, I think on it's some like also the note though, right? That even though this is a South African company, I think the scandal initially broke in Germany. Right? Mm -hmm. So this is actually mm -hmm. quite a global picture about the morality of, of capitalism as a whole. Not, yeah. But it's it's telling that it didn't break here. Mm. Yeah. It's only because oh, yeah. this company had a global sort of footprint that somewhere else in the, the world somebody. Mm. The bulk of the corruption is in Europe. Yeah, but you, you're right. I mean, Christo Visser keeps saying that that you know there's never been a board as well resourced, that there are three people with doctorates in accounting on Steinhoff's board. And these three people didn't ask Marcus, apparently it would seem at this stage, the kind of questions they should have asked. I mean, Jana, is that, surely those, that's the issue that, that this brings home at its core, as well as what the auditors do, sort yes. of like VBS Bank. No, I think, I definitely think the board should have asked more questions, but you also have to ask about the auditors. And Christopher Christo would make the same point. He would say, well, you know, two months before the collapse, you know, they had a massively successful bond, mm. bond issue in mm. Europe. The banks were not worried. The audit firms were not worried. You know, the fund managers weren't worried. So why would we as the board feel it's so concerning? And, and I think one of the other points he made, he, he would make, is that when the first allegations came to light in that German magazine, that the board did appoint German forensic investigators to, to investigate and that, they, you know, they came back and said there's nothing to worry about. So it also explains the complexity of, of, of what, you know, the fraud that's been committed. And if you have small audit firms, you know, all separately looking at different parts of the business and nobody really mm. getting a whole overview. I mean, I'm by no means uh, defending the auditors. I think it's shocking that it's, you know, took so long to, to get to the bottom of it and, and it's going to take quite a few more months. Um, but it's, it certainly is not, uh, you can also argue that if you have a board meeting four times a year, can you really can you really expect people mm. to to understand the extent of the offshore 
balance sheets entities. So, I don't know. So what is the point of a board then? Why, why be a director? What can a non-executive director do if they can't do anything in this case? No, that's a, that's a very valid point. Yeah. I mean, I think they, they probably spent a lot of their time thinking of strategic, you know, talking about strategic direction, the growth. You know, they were doing so many deals that that's probably, I would imagine, that's what a lot of the time, you know, took up, hmm. took up their time. And, and rather than digging into the finer numbers, expecting, you know, trying to expose corruption, which I don't think you expect if the auditors have signed off on things. You don't necessarily go through that with a forensic eye. Which so is staring a out the window while Marcus stole the cookies on the table. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's important to go back to Ray's point about you know, because it's a system to work. I mean, you can have all the checks and balances, but in the end of the day, the, the system to work has to be an element of trust. Yeah. And again, that, that's. I mean, this company now sometimes becomes so big that sometimes it's impossible even for the CEO to know what's, yeah. what's, what's happening. So 130,000 yeah. employees, yeah. I mean, that's massive. Like, they're, they're, they're all over the globe and they're mm. huge. I mean, even look at companies like Apple or JP Morgan, they're bigger mm. than most countries in terms, of their, in terms of their economic power. And it's hard to imagine one person can have such full control over yeah. these things. And then, then if you don't have that trust, then the whole thing will fall apart at some point. And like, oh, like this, this becomes possible. So I think that's the most biggest challenge is trying to like, really establish trust because the yeah. system doesn't work without trust I think we're giving the board a, a, an easy pass mm -hmm. here you know I mean your esteemed journal did raise lots of questions about Steinoff mm -hmm. um, well before this uh, this broke and those were dismissed and you know there's the, nothing was done you know the flags were raised Questions were asked. Christopher Visser called the allegations drivel on radio. Yeah, yeah. Um, because you know, because the media is wrong, and we are right. That's the attitude that politicians and big business people take in South Africa, um, because they they're allergic to independent scrutiny that comes from a surprising place. They don't say, you know what, let's you know, this is the Financial Mail just did this. It's a detailed feature article. We are going to put this thing through the you know, through the mall, yeah, and I'm going to ask some serious questions of people in this building about these issues that have been raised. No. But is it not as well? We have SICA, for example, which is the accounting body yeah. that's meant to look after, meant to ensure there's proper integrity in the profession. Those guys, Marcus Eustace still hasn't been... Sustained. He's a member. He continues to be a member. I mean, how does that happen? I mean, what does this say? The Law Society was notoriously run by Ronald Bobroff, who eventually fled to Australia when he was trying to be arrested, or about to be arrested. I mean, how does it happen that our institutions are so insipid and, and end up being captured by exactly the wrong people? Because I think we have a weak institutional culture that kind of lurches along. Um, you know, there's some institutions like the Constitutional Court, which have done the hard yards, taken on a state president, um, you know, put it, you know, and actually Tuli Maroncella as public protector. But in the private sphere, I don't think that our institutions are, you know, they probably depend on funding from a lot of these organizations that they're supposedly monitoring. And, you know, people pass from one, from a company onto the board of the institution that's supposedly mm. the watchdog over the company. I don't know if there are any um, periods of time between those two events that need to even happen in South Africa. So it's been a very weak institutional culture. And now we're getting caught out. There's another company that was caught out this week, um, Glencore, uh, one of the biggest companies on the stock exchange. Um, Jana, can you just tell us what happened, basically, I suppose, in a nutshell, and why we should worry? 
So they, they, their share price took a massive knock. They lost about 100 billion rand of uh, market cap on the JSE. Also, they, their primary listing is in London, obviously also a massive um, knock there. So in a nutshell, what happened, the US Department of Justice um, seemed to have started an investigation into their operations in Nigeria, Venezuela. Um, they export oil from both those countries and then um, their operations in the DRC, where they mine copper and cobalt. And as you can tell, those three countries not not really high on the list of transparency <laughs> and, 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 and un, um, you know, quite Look, famous it's not <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, yeah, so basically the share price was, I think um, the market has been jittery over their DRC operations for some time. So there's, it's been trading at a DRC discount for some time and, and clearly getting the U.S. Um, government, you know, getting the U.S. investigations going, that could lead to massive fines. And I think it just causes a lot of uncertainty about, um, you know, about, about the outlook for their, their operations there. Um, yeah, so, so it's a, you know, they've, they've um, been in, they had a business partner there, Dan Gertler, an Israeli um, billionaire. He's on a U.S. Um, ban, he's a banned person, so you can't actually do payments with him or business with him um, using any U.S. companies. Um, and that uh, they've suspended that, um, or they've ended that relationship, but restarted um, royalty payments to him again this year. And it seems like this um, investigation is partly probably linked to, to Gertler. So, Luke, do you, I mean, why, why do companies continue doing business with shady people? Do they not see that this is the ultimate eventual conclusion of such a thing? I suppose they'd have to answer for themselves on that one, Rob. Like, like, I don't want to be sitting here calling anybody shady because I don't feel like getting sued yet. <laughs> well, I'm only two months into the job. But you said it is interesting, really. Like, I mean, even if you're not doing anything wrong yourself, sometimes you can see there's reputational risks in associating with some people in some organizations. I mean, I mean, it's, I mean, it's happened in other situations when we've spoken about SARS and you know, mm. people have done deals with ESCOM and that kind of thing. You, you'd think at some point somebody would say, you know, just from a pure PR perspective, you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do that. There's a guy like, called like, Atul. Yeah. <laughs> Don't take him as you a know? partner. No, like, so, and you might not do anything wrong even. I mean, you, you think, like, surely, like, you know, associations, they, they, they should, people should, should be professional enough to actually, oh, we have enough people who do this kind of due diligence in terms, mm -hmm. in terms of who they get involved with. And, to, to talk of, just to end off, uh, other foreseeable things. Uh, mm -hmm. Did you foresee in the World Cup, did you foresee... Portugal going home early. Did you see, you know, the other the other countries getting booted out of the World Cup? Germany, for example. I mean, who thought Germany would go home early? I didn't foresee any of that. In fairness, I didn't foresee England winning on penalties. I don't think anybody in England ever foresees them winning in penalties. So that <laughs> so that will go down in the history books. And I mean, it's been quite interesting actually. I've been trying not to watch it too much and. To, Partly because we're not there, partly because I try to pretend I'm very moralistic about these things, cons considering <laughs> where, it's where, where it's held. But then sometimes the lure of the actual football itself <laughs> just like takes over. But so, so, Ray, I mean, do you, do you, I, I was interested to read that Nomura said that, you know, in their analyses, their economic projections, they believe that in the final, France is going to beat Spain and Brazil number three. Um, are, you, are you betting on that happening? I mean, what do you... Do you think that, that Vladimir Putin will let that happen, or do you think he'll be torturing well, Spain's out, so the yes. mirror is already oh, one exactly. down. Yeah, what's, what's quite interesting is that, the, you know, all the European countries got together, and then Portugal, Spain, <laughs> mm, Germany. Out. But Britain is in, you know, England, I should say. So, so who's yes. the winner? No, there just wasn't a Brexit from the World Cup, mm. you know. Um, but I suppose it's the idea of looking outside of the EU, they're looking east to, to Russia. 
Yeah. So, Yana, like your, your projection, Russia to win? Anyone but Uruguay. Anyone we but cannot have Suarez winning anything. That's, <laughs> that's my point. But it all will depend on who Putin wants to win, I think. Yeah, that's so probably we'll true. <laughs> Guys, thanks for joining us. Um, and in two weeks' time, if Yana is right, we will... Um, uh, we will have to buy her giant vats of champagne to celebrate Uruguay's win. <laughs> um, and join us next week. <laughs>